when I retired, I'm a rookie again. So whatever zone I wanted to go into, I had to do research. I had to come in there with a humble attitude and I got to catch up. So as a businessman, you start to take your feelings out of it and you start to say, here's the vision we've looked at. Here's my three-year goal, five-year goal. How do I work backwards from that? How do I employ the right people? What is our, what is the character of this people like? What is the culture of your business? Like when you start thinking like that, then you're a fucking businessman. When you're just like, I'm just here for a quick buck. No, you're just hustling. Welcome to Playing Business. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm Dan Gardner. During season one of Playing Business, we sat down with professional athletes, sports commentators, league owners, and one of the world's most prolific climbers to ask the question, can success in sport translate to success in business? In this episode of the Playing Business Podcast, Channing Fry shares a story of how he went from a talented but unpolished teenager to an NBA champion. And today, he uses the same mindset of hard work and dedication as a businessman. There are more than enough athletes playing business by putting their likeness on a brand and calling it their own, but Channing walks the walk and is truly doing business. He may hate calling himself a CEO, but he's nothing short of a real entrepreneurial-driven CEO in the way that he grinds it out day-to-day like he did when he was on the court. We'll get into that and understand why and how he became a winemaker and also an innovative podcaster. His ability to connect with guests and get them to open up about their careers and personal lives has made this show road tripping, a must listen for sports fans. Let's get into it. Well, to kick this off, man, tell me your story. Obviously, I got to come in at this all-star, the highest peak of the journey being at the 2016 finals. Give me the story of how you end up in that moment. Man, how much time do we have here? I'll I'll make it very (laughs) short. Growing up in, in high school, I only played two years. I broke my, actually broke my hand, like the pins are right there. And I went to junior high, seven, eight, nine. And so sophomore year of high school, I went to St. Mary's. I broke my hand, didn't really play. And then that summer, I dedicated myself. I couldn't run backwards. Like I was six, eight, something like that. Just uncoordinated, never really got in a weight room, loved basketball. And from that summer to my senior year, I went from this really skinny kind of tall guy to Gatorade Player of the Year. So I went psychotic on basketball, had an opportunity, actually played all summer AU. Coach Olson at the University of Arizona wrote me a handwritten letter, which I end up finding out that it was actually his assistant, but he was, he was voicing it over. Went and took an unofficial visit. Saw Richard Jefferson and Gilbert Arenas and those guys and fell in love with U of A and committed. I only took one visit, and that was to Arizona. Didn't even look at any other school. Went to Arizona. They ended up telling me that I might redshirt that year. I told them basically, fuck you, and bust my butt. Went from 205, my freshman year, started half the year, to... 235 my sophomore year, so stayed the summer, worked out. Didn't really think about the league like that because I was just figuring out who I was as a player, right? So it was like, oh, I'm a center. Let me learn and and grow in this. Did four years by playing true center. Had a really good tournament my senior year. Got drafted eighth, which is crazy. Went to the Knicks, was there two years, and then in those two years realized – Everything I learned in college, that does not translate to the league because Shaq and Yao Ming exist. (laughs) So it was a tough growing pain for me. 
my first four years. So two years in New York, got traded to Portland where I stay now. I learned a lot, but I learned a lot about how to take lumps and evolve and grow, but was working on my game, figured out how to shoot threes, got an opportunity to go to the Suns. And that's what kind of propelled my career to fast forward five years with the Suns that year going to the Western Conference Finals and then having really good success in Phoenix, then signing uh, a long-term deal in Orlando with a younger team that just had a lot of turmoil. I don't know if anybody watches sports. Most of the bad teams are young teams because everyone is on an equal plane. Good teams are built like pyramids where like the top dogs get the most and everyone else has got to figure it out. Uh, And then had an got traded to Cleveland 2016 and went from the worst team to the best team and really just gelled with those guys and was in Cleveland three years. And finally in 2019, I looked around and we're in rebuilding and my kid sent me a picture of like him playing hockey. I used to play hockey at the time. And I was like, damn, like it's time for me to go. I was like, man, I want to be with my kids, right? I want to be home. It's time for me to go and retired in 2019 and started a wine company in 2020 and 2023. I'm here work for Warner media. So TNT, NBA TV, Bleach Report, NBA Twitter live. So I'm a busy man, but I'm doing things that I love. That was about as fast as I can make that. Did you enjoy the grind? Was that you or was that more, was that goal oriented or was it more that you were locked in at that given time and what you needed to do then? You know what? And this is the truth, right? And I think Mike Tyson says something is discipline is doing stuff when you don't want to do it. Something of that effect, right? I did not want to do any of it. But when the, and I always make this joke, the first 10 minutes are the worst of any practice, of any running. After that, you're just like, fuck it, I'm here. And really, it was like, if I, even now today, I'm 40, if I'm going to work out, I have to literally put my tights on, your, your workout clothes, I have it on. So that I'm already like, I'm already two steps in. So for me, I didn't give myself an option to not do it. And what I loved was, I, I hated losing. So if I lost on Monday, what I loved was beating the crap out of that same team or person on Friday because I put in the work. That's what I loved. I got addicted to that of, okay, I may lose today, but I'm not going to lose consistently because I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do plus more, right? That's what I fell in love with, right? It's just the consistent grind and seeing the incremental growth is what I fell in love with. No, I hate running. I hate running, but I'll run it to be in shape so that I can win. That's the thing. Where do you think you got that from? Uh, is, is that, is that, is that come uh, from your My parents instilled that on me. Yeah. I, I used to call them the black Russia, right? My, my parents would be like, they would like mind psych me out. They'd be like, Oh man, look at you. You just watching TV. That's crazy. Remember last week that kid bust your ass and you were, Oh, you, Oh, I'm sore. That's because you don't do push-ups. So I'd be like, damn, he's probably right. Maybe, man, remember how tired you were the other day? I bet you if you ran a mile, like, that would help. So I'd be like, you know what? Damn, let me go run this mile. And then my dad would be like, ooh, that was slow. Did you walk? And he was like, if you're going to do it right. And at that point, I'm already, like, I'm already warm. I'm already sweaty. Now, this is Arizona we're talking. So I grew up in Arizona. So I'm running in the sun. And so... There was 
always, there's doing the thing. I always had to be challenged emotionally. And I started to learn that when I was a pro is I could go out there and shoot. You need me to shoot a hundred shots. I can make a hundred fucking shots. That's not hard. Right. But like, when do I dig deep and find something about myself? That's what I fell in love with was like, is it timed? Is it who's done it? Who's done it the fastest? And then can I beat them? And then is it even possible? Like, I tried for two months to beat Steph Curry's 177 threes in a row. And for me, the first week, I was getting like 40, which is a lot, 40, 50. Then I started to get 70s, 80s, 90s. And then I was like, yeah, I don't have time for this. (laughs) I'm a lot better than what I was, but I, I ain't Steph. But it made me better. Seeing that made me better. And so that's what I love is just being emotionally invested into it. That's when you're going to get the best product. And that's when my son is just now playing football. And I told my wife, he could be tired, but he has so much energy still because he hasn't figured out how to emotionally, he's such a good kid to be emotionally invested into the moment and to pay attention. That's when you're exhausted after a game. It has nothing to do with physical. It's Mm -hmm. this and this. That's when you get exhausted. You go to Arizona, you excel, you end up getting drafted. Tell me about that that early time in the league as you're trying to find your space. As you mentioned, there's, there's Shaq, there's Xiao Ming in the league. Tell me about that time as you're trying to find yourself. So I got an opportunity with the Knicks. There was just so many moving parts, right? And Isaiah Thomas drafted me. I love him to this day for that opportunity to play with the Knicks. His dream of what the Knicks were going to do was different than what was happening. And we had a weird mix of the highest payroll in the league with excuse me, with a lottery pick with two other, so basically three really good rookies, myself, David Lee, and Nate Robinson, all three of us champions, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you have all these vets, Stephon Marbury, Jamal Crawford, Eddie Curry, Maurice Taylor, Jerome Jane, all these guys. And then you have these three rookies, and so what do you do, right? What do you do? And then you have Larry Brown, who hates rookies, who doesn't like any of our players, we had the most starting lineups in the history of the NBA by 30, which is crazy because you don't know who's playing. There's no consistency. But I had success for most of that year. I think I came in second, rookie of the year. I got hurt the last month of the season. But it jaded me of what it takes to be successful in the league. I trusted everyone at Arizona with my life, my coach, my trainer, my teammates. Like Those are my brothers. And then when you get in the league, And you realize, damn, this dude is dry snitching on me. He's hating on me. He set me up. This trainer thinks I should be this trainer, thinks I should be that. The coach and the GM and this, it was too much for me to digest. So I just took a step back. And the second year, they wanted me to play more forward, which is a natural position for a shooter. So Isaiah Thomas was just five years ahead of time because he was our coach at the time. But I didn't know you're not just going to switch positions in the NBA. You want me to go from guarding Shaq and Yao and some of the bigger guys to all of a sudden now I'm having to guard like LeBron and D Wade and Tayshaun Prince. And I'm basically playing a four, three. I'm just like, dude, talk about shut down. So I ended up getting traded to Portland where I got an opportunity to learn and grow with a young crew, made the playoffs. And then, I discovered who I was, and uh, I knew it wasn't going to be here in Portland. 
that's why I flourished in uh, Phoenix. Got it. Got it. And then you, you go from having some of those early success years as you start to bounce around early on, but then you mentioned this Cavaliers team. Obviously, I was in Cleveland during that time. It was special. The land was different. Yep. You got you guys were the heart and soul. Naturally, as a young guy getting drafted to the Browns, I got deep into that. What made the, those Cavs special? I think it was just how polarizing, how many polarizing, not attitudes, but polarizing personalities we had. Like Delhi, they just came off of going to the NBA Finals. Everyone had gotten hurt, right? So you have Kevin Love, who's a star in all star in his right. You have Delhi, who everyone loves, who was literally killing himself in NBA Finals the year before, having to go to the hospital every year. Braun is Braun. Kyrie is Kyrie. Then you have Shump. Then you have vet like Richard Jefferson. Then you add the thing that was weird with me was I got traded for Anderson Barajal, who everyone loved. And everyone tried to hate me at the beginning because they were like, why the F did we just get this guy? And then they realized that I was just like, man, we have an opportunity to do something. Why does everyone have a stick up their ass? And I'm a big text chain guy. So I put everyone on the text chain and just inundated them with stupid shit from Instagram and whatever else is out there. But it got everyone to communicate more. So I think the fans had access to a crew of superstar crazy folks that they never had before. We were going out to bars. We were going out to restaurants. We were like the people's team. And for someone like LeBron to be going out like that, or Kyrie or Kevin, is mind-boggling now. Because obviously the police had to stop some things at times, right? Went to eat one time, and I think 500 people showed up because the team went to eat. So they had to get the police escort us out it was crazy but it was one of those things we were like rock stars but like touchable rock stars i remember it vividly i, I remember i was at town hall i had the privilege of sitting at the far uh-huh. other side of the table from y'all and i got to talk to the bodyguards on the other side of the table so i didn't get the chance to come over uh-huh. and spend too much time dude Definitely we had we had five to seven bodyguards <laughs> at all times on yeah. most teams have two for the whole team we have five to seven it was it's nuts it was yeah. nuts, it, yeah. but it worked. And somehow through all that stuff, there was always some turmoil going on. It was always something, but it was never like that for us. We were like, oh, Kyrie, you're supposed to hate me this week. He's like, fuck you, Channing. And I was like, ah, fuck you too. And then we just go practice. <laughs> and so all the, all the stories were just so funny to us and amazing, but we didn't have all that turmoil. I think that, and, and, and this now goes into really where this pod and this conversation that Dan yeah. and I continue to have is, is some of the stuff that's happening off the court. Yeah. Uh, I think that my, my thoughts of that team really became personal when an old friend of mine, Allie Clifton, who played yeah. basketball in Toledo where I grew up, she was also calling at local high school games before oh, yeah. she came over to Cleveland in Toledo, starts this podcast. And I get to get a, a real inside look with you and, and Richard Jefferson. Tell us a little oh, bit man. about Road Trip. So it happened as an accident. So big dumb Richard was like, man, I'm getting older. I want to get into TV. So Allie, he asked Allie, hey, will you do this podcast with us? It was like FN, FSN, something, whatever. And Allie and Richard were like, okay, let's practice on the players. So he's chanting, will you do it? And I was like, I'm not doing that crap. They're like, no, we want to interview you. I was like, okay, cool. But I was like, we need a bottle of wine and some food. And then I'll talk as long as you want. They're like, deal, done. 
So we had one mic on a, in a glass, right? So we're all sit, sitting there in the trainer's office, trainer's suite. And all of a sudden we're talking, we're not even five minutes in, Kyrie walks in and he's like getting ice on his ankle or his knees, whatever. He's oh, y'all got room for me? And we're like, absolutely. So I moved to the interview space, right? And that's the interview. One of the two interviews, I think one of those was when Kyrie made a reference of like flat earth, which really exploded our stuff. Because I think it was right before All-Star break that got released. But yeah, we were interviewing. We interviewed like Tim Duncan, Derrick Rose, Kyrie a bunch of times. We were doing interviews on airplanes. We were doing interviews like for sneaker releases. We were doing stuff that like now everyone thinks is normal. We were doing that and making and giving people access to our teammates' real thoughts. So we'd win a game and then go or lose a game and go do a podcast right after, which Draymond Green does now. But we were doing that before, just not as, I don't want to say we're as controversial as him, but we were doing that before. And it was nothing. We're like, man, we went on a, why are we playing good? Delhi, how do you feel? What's going on? Like we had the inside scoop and it was great. So we still do it. We're recording tomorrow. I think it's, shoot, what is that, seven, eight years now? Now we've been doing it. So, uh, yeah, it's great. I love it. Let me ask a question about that, because at what point you came into the league, (laughs) I think 2005. What's interesting about that era of 2005 is the internet really just started to mature. Oh, yeah. You just started to have social media and just started that iPhone. It was really early stages. Brands and athletes at that time, Prior to that, it was more like traditional sponsorship deals. Yeah, you could be a little clever, but really it was just like sponsorship. And that was the start where athletes start to be closer, like that direct-to-consumer, direct-to-fan. And yeah. then you fell into this podcasting, which is really a direct-to-fan relationship. <laughs> it was an innovative way for Correct. what traditionally an athlete would go and become a broadcaster, but they'd be on a traditional broadcasting. You were directed to that fan. You were one of the first did you realize when did you realize it besides just the flat earth attention and all that you know that launching that this was the future this direct to fan that now has turned into some other stuff like you know bit launching businesses and everything you know that yeah. hopefully we'll get into when we started getting when we started copying like when st- people started replicating what we were doing on their teams right i think the team said hold on this is a great idea we have articulate intelligent players why are we relying on somebody else to tell our stories rather than get the players to tell their stories from their perspective? And obviously things get edited, but these are great stories. People eat this up. They will forever eat up these stories, no matter how many times they've been told, right? Any Larry Bird story, any Isaiah, Charles, Jordan, like any Hakeem Olajuwon, any of those stories, people are like, I wanted to know about the guy I grew up. Now, man, nothing's almost private because everyone knows everything, right? Almost, right? And so it's just the fans chew that up. They want to know everything from how you eat, what you eat, where do you live, where do you vacation? I want to live like the people that I see and and look up to, especially young guys. Did, Did it make you think after you like stumbled upon this, did it make you think how you approach things. Oh, I don't need to be like conventional anymore. Was there a turning point of, Oh shit, we fell into this. It's different. It's giving new access. We don't have to do it a standard way. 
and now even to into your business endeavors, yeah. are you like, oh shit, I can now challenge the way things are being done? Yeah, I think you got to be authentic. I think when you can replicate the template, right? The template, but what's inside that has to be you. So whether you are watching me on NBA TV or TNT or NBA Twitter Live or road tripping, I'm going to be 100% chanting on all those things. I don't, I cannot in good conscience put out a product. I don't want anybody to put out a product that is like, oh, skipping Richard Sherman. I like what they're doing. I'm going to replicate them. You don't need to replicate them. If you like to argue with somebody, just find somebody you argue with that you like arguing with. You don't, you can like an idea and do it your way. That's when I found out that the more authentic you are, the more success you'll have. Because you are just naturally going to go to where you're valued. And think about this, Draymond Green. Is he reinventing the wheel? No. You know what he's doing? He's being inauthentically himself, right? Patrick Beverly, love him. You look at who? Paul George. They're not reinventing the wheel, but they're having success because they're being authentic to who they are consistently, and fans love that more than they may not agree with you. No one's going to agree with you 100%, but they're listening, which is all you need to think about. Were you thinking of the podcast as a business? Were you guys having conversations about like, how do you grow this thing? How do you market this thing? Was there a team that came in place? Were you just the, the talent on the show? Was this a real business that you were building early on? So Richard and Allie, I was like, listen, guys, I just want to be Kanye. I'm going to come in, <laughs> do the thing, and dip. I was really focusing on other things at the time. But yes, yeah, a super business, right? We're... We are sponsored by Blue Wire right now. We go have a little studio down in Vegas. It's been amazing to be at the Wynn. It's like the best hotel in Vegas now, which is amazing and awesome for us. But yeah, Allie and Richard were the ones that made sure that it was a business. We were uninterrupted for a little bit. We looked at other avenues, going to local RSNs. We've been on TV. We were in... Allie works for Spectrum. Richard works for ESPN. I work for Tur Warner. Not Turner anymore. Warner media and all of us with our contracts have road tripping built in to this as our own platform right because we're promoting ourselves, we're promoting road tripping and so as a business we've gone through ups and downs but i think we're starting to figure out where our voice is and trying not to be stale that's the problem when you talk for eight years it, you may have stale months right there's not a lot to talk about but if you're engaged, if you're emotionally invested into the thing, you'll make the conversation important. So do you, do you consider yourself a businessman? Yeah, dude, look, listen. You see the P&Ls? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I business, yeah when, when? When do you consider yourself a businessman? God, good point. I would probably say when I retired. Because when I retired... Becoming a businessman was reading the right books, researching, studying, starting from scratch, right? From, I would consider myself a hooper. I started from scratch, right? Started playing in second grade, reached the pinnacle, and was there 14 years. When I retired, I'm a rookie again. So whatever zone I wanted to go into, I had to do research. I had to come in there with a humble attitude, and I got to catch up. So as a businessman, 
you start to take your feelings out of it and you start to say, here's the vision we've looked at. Here's my three-year goal, five-year goal. How do I work backwards from that? How do I employ the right people? What is our, what is the character of this people like? What is the culture of your business? Like when you start thinking like that, then you're a fucking businessman. When you're just like, I'm just here for a quick buck. No, you're just hustling, right? A businessman thinks, I'm going to go through ups and downs. How do I make sure longevity, and I'm just speaking about wine and mostly any business, longevity is the greatest gift, right? If you're doing it right, longevity, because you're going to hit, right? If you're at the blackjack table, I always use it to like this. If you're in Vegas and you're playing at the blackjack table, they're bringing you free drinks, right? You're not paying for drinks. If you're there 20 minutes, you don't even get a drink. Right? You got to find that lady. If you're playing there an hour, two hours, three hours, you, you're winning. You're winning because you're not losing your money. You're not going to the ATM. So the longer you're playing, the longer it gives you a runway of hitting that jackpot, of getting that doubling down on the 21 or hitting blackjack. So for me, the longevity of it is what I think about. And the impact on that area is also what I think about. Can I make an impact culturally on wine? Do you feel you are more in the stage when you talked about being in college, you felt a support system? Yeah. When you talked about coming straight to the NBA, you felt, oh shit, where's, my, yeah. where's that support system? What do you, how do you feel? Are you in the college era or the NBA era of a support system? <laughs> Help you through it. That's wild that you asked me that, right? Because I actually, and this is not the common knowledge. I talk to a therapist every week, right? Because for me, I can't be, I can't be in my, I can't run the hamster wheel. So I have people in every aspect of not only the business of chanting, but the business of wine that I go, it's hard for me to ask for help. I don't want to do, I don't want to die on the hill by myself, right? This is a amazing business and we built this together, but what do you need for you to be I didn't know how to ask that question. So for our other owners, for our employees, what do you need to be the best version of yourself or to help us be better? So like that question, I didn't even think that was a question to ask. I know it seems simple, but like to go, what do you need? And my other owners are like, oh, I just need, I'm really into the numbers part. I want to do, send me this and this. I said, you'll have an end of day today. Let's get in a meeting. Let's talk. Different viewpoints and different people who are emotionally invested into the business and are strategic assets to you will help you when you feel like you're spinning the hamster wheel. That's what I've learned. So I'm not in college, but I'm fourth year in the NBA. So I'm still figuring it out, but I'm also going, I got to watch film, right? I got to re-dive into my books. I'm taking on a bigger role that I didn't think that I was going to. So for me, instead of having a sense of pride and saying, let me figure it out myself, why not just ask the people who have always said, I'll help you out? And so that's the thing that I'm learning right now. And it's exploding my brain because I'm, it, the more that I learn, the more excited I get about where we're going to be in the future. So tell us, I know we keep talking over yeah, yeah. a little bit. Tell us about uh, Chosen Family Wines. And then also let us know a little bit about that rule. What is that rule that you're operating as? We started, a group of us started Chosen Family Wines in 2020. We've scaled pretty fast. We are based out of Oregon. We started during COVID, which we're either really drunk or crazy, but either way, we're here now. And so we started with this theme of going, we want to tell stories, right? Wine stories are 
for the most part, pretty boring, but the people are amazing. How did you get into it? Why did you pick that? What is different about you that's different about everyone else? Like wine is 50% juice, 50% story, right? And, and like for us, we wanted to share wines that were inspiring to us, not only the juice, but the people. So we started off doing collaborations. We were hot in the streets, selling those out within months. But the problem is if I don't have anything to sell you, what am I telling you? I can't, it's hard for me to tell that story. So we scale pretty fast over the years. We figured out, I want the wine industry to be inclusive and it's getting better, right? It was more of an initiative back, obviously 2021 was huge, 20 is huge. But I want to remind people that like, why not cast the net over everyone in America, not just a certain demographic in the world, right? Wine is amazing. It's not just the industry is not just the juice. It's marketing, accounting, engineering. It's agriculture. It's all types of things that I think the way that the world looks should be reflected in every area of wine. I think we're going to get better juice. So I said that because then I go, our wines, our, our collaboration wines are like 60 to 100, 125 bucks. And so that's hard for a first-time wine drinker to just say, I've never had it, but I'll trust you. So what we did is we said, how do we do the research in making the best $40 wine, under $40? $40 in the Pinot Noir for Oregon, Willamette Valley, cutting no corners is thin margins, but it's the responsibility that we have to do to get more people to take a chance with us, with Chosen, right? I can't market that I'm the winemaker because I'm not right? I have to market. We are working with some of the best winemakers, right? I think that's one thing about marketing is I can't, I'm not the winemaker. So how do I compete with the winemaker? I don't. I encourage that. I say, hey, this dude makes great juice and we have the opportunity to work together to make juice to give to you. So I'm a vintner. As we've grown, my role has gone from, I'm a founder, a majority owner from doing founder things to now really making a lot of the decisions, I would say 99% of the decisions that go on, it's a lot. Never had employees before in my life, so I'm growing there. Never had to deal with like payroll and this. Like That just was out of my realm. I've only been a business of Channing, but I love it. I love having a reason to wake up early, like 5, 5.30, my brain starts going and I start writing down notes upon notes. And even if I'm on like, and just even if I'm on sitting watching TV, there's just this, there's all this. There's just so much that I just am excited to learn and grow about. And I'm just, we're here now and three years in, four years in and trying to continue to grow it. So are you essentially the CEO of Chosen Wines? Chosen Family Wines? I hate that title, but yeah, essentially. I hate that title. Well, yeah, the only reason I bring it up, it's interesting when you think about a lot of athletes within the business Right. world of like, where are the CEO athletes? Not just the name yeah. on the brands, not right. leaning into an area, but like this. So I understand the, I think yeah. a lot of us have the insecurity of, oh, I don't yeah. want to call myself a CEO, but it's, you're the one, you're the number yeah. one making the decisions, you're leaned in. And I guess, why'd you decide to totally be the one lean in? Because that's actually quite rare. I think we uh, I think for me, it was a responsibility, not only to our ownership group, which is my friends, right? And, and good guys. But also, I think 
for me, I can't ask somebody to come in and do this job if I don't know the responsibilities of it, right? For me, I was never in the P&Ls. I'm never in the numbers, right? Like when you go to the buffet, I want to try everything. Even though I might not like it, it might be good here, right? And then when I go back for that second plate, I know exactly what I want, right? I'm going right for the chicken fingers and french fries because that's what I want. That's what I think is best for me to enjoy this meal. Now that I am put everything on my plate, I can now go into the world and say, chosen needs A, B, C, and D. We need this guy to bring in this culture. Here's the required, here's how many hours it took me. And you're supposed to be an expert. I know it'll take you three less hours. So then we can put more on your plate. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't hire the right person if I didn't know what I was hiring him for. It'd be doing a disservice to the business um, and what we built. So it's tough. I'm up to a challenge. But again, I'm leaning on people who are experts. Oh, you're experts at agriculture. What are we doing this year? Okay, what is this price per ton? How do we move that next year? Okay, this, marketing. What is our schedule? Like, how do we plan out? Because we have wine coming out in a month. We have this doing. So like doing all these, it's making me lock in on this business, but it's also like humbling me in a way where I go, whoo, no one person could do this on their own. It is not, it is no joke, right? Mm -hmm. what's, what's the hardest thing about what you do? Organization of different thoughts. So I, I'm a dreamer by heart, right? I want to go, yo, we need a vineyard. Let's go look at vineyards. And then I dream it, people do it. I like that. I like that operation. Now, if I dream it, I go, ah, shit. We dream it. We got to start here. Here are the 15 steps to get to that. We got to take care of one. So organizing my thoughts, and that's why I had to buy this thing. I'm not sponsored by it, but this little notepad remarkable because I was going through too much paper, like I'm saying. So what is good for Chosen today? What can we do? Who have we reached out to? That's one pocket today. This is what we could do today. Then another pocket is this month. What are our goals? Direct-to-consumer FOB. Are we opening up new states? Are we creating marketing materials? Then that third bucket is the ownership group. Who's here for what? What do we need? Do we need more capital? Do we go get outside capital? What are interest rates like, right? Then we say, okay, the three-year model or three to five to 10. Who are you in contact with for vineyards? Or do we need a vineyard? Do we just need a brick and mortar? Where are our customers at? And then there's like the other two are like scheduling my schedule. This is my second job. So like I travel to Atlanta every week and I got to be in basketball mode. So when I'm over there, how do I schedule out my brain to go from wine to talking about the New Orleans Pelicans or the you know Dallas Mavericks? Then I go with the vision is, who is serving the wine? How are they serving it? Like in all the details, labels, corks, waxing, transportation, right? Those things. Like what is our, what are we portraying and how are we portraying it and who is working with us and are they invested into it? So it's a lot of boxes, but I'm starting to be able to sift and it's hard some days, but some days it's okay. All I have to do is make emails. I haven't made so many damn emails in my life. Get into the league is hard enough. You have to dedicate yourself. Very few people can be successful enough to get to the league, right? It's incredibly hard. 
Starting a business is incredibly hard. Very few people can be entrepreneurs and make a successful business. It's super fucking rare. And most people that do that have to completely dedicate themselves. So you just talked about how you have a second job, which obviously the media helps because you have attention, right. bring attention to it. But do you feel that you're at an advantage or a disadvantage against people that are just 100% dedicated, dedicate their life to that, that singular one business, make it successful under all odds? I think a six and one half dozen, right? I think you could look at it any way you want to. I think there are benefits to me being busy for a business, right? I can't be tokenized. I can't be just out here pouring glasses of wine for everybody. Like my time is important, right? Also, it makes me hyper-focused on when I do have time, that my time is used effectively and that our employees and that people who are associated with Chosen are on the right wavelength. Are they there for the right reasons? Are they helping you enjoy this? This may be your only wine experience. We want you to enjoy that, whether that's how you get the wine, how it tastes, what the labels look like, the verbiage. Is this be, are we being authentic? Are we just trying to sell you something real quick and get the hell out, right? Which isn't what we want to do at Chosen at all. We want you to enjoy your day, right? That may be your only day off. We're, we're just rushing it in and out. That ain't our, that is not my jam. That's not our jam. So for me, basketball comes naturally because I've been doing it for 28 years. Wine is starting to become natural to me because it's what I do every single day. Now, as much as I study wine, I have to study during the regular season, basketball. But again, it's second nature. Oh, they're in a zone. They're running a zone because they're too small. Why are they too small? Because this guy's been hurt. That is a little bit easier for me than this. So for me, I'm on TV. I study like an hour before I get on TV. When I'm done with TV, I have people give me their criticisms. You should stop saying, don't say like, blah, blah, blah. Look at the camera more. This, I need to make sure that I dedicate a certain amount of time to communicating with our team, communicating with our ownership group, and really making sure that I'm staying on top of it. Plus a six-hour plane ride, I got a lot of time to be reading and doing stupid emails. It's it, the candor, the conversation we're having right now sounds right. like a, a multi-decade vet in the ah. wine space. And, uh-huh. I, and I know for a fact that, that if you're playing ball as much as you're playing ball, you're not learning that game as much as you're learning it back then. So do, do you truly believe, you mentioned earlier, you said that you, you became a businessman after you retired. Does that was the interest there before that? Were you following business? Do you understand these concepts? Or is this like all new lingo to you? So again, I think for me and my personality and the way my brain works, I've heard of these things. I've learned of these things. I've invested in different things. But I can only digest so much at a time, right? Unless it is needed, I didn't Pull on that apple, right? I didn't go, my, my best friend, Doug, an agent. Doug, I need 30 minutes of you right now. Explain this. What does this do for the future of the ownership group of equity? Okay, we need to get on the phone with the lawyer. Explain these you know, points. Explain this. What is this verbiage, right, that goes into our operating agreement, okay? When it comes to this guy, what are you here for? Bring this on. What do you do for me? that the previous guy didn't do. So learning all these things, I couldn't just absorb it because I wouldn't absorb anything at all, right? 
I just slowly do it and be patient with yourself. And if you're not the expert at the time, go fucking go get one. Your business requires that. So learn when you're sitting in a room, take notes. When you're, I take notes so much now, it's crazy. I told you. But anytime I'm on a call with somebody, I'm always taking notes, little here and there that I could use for the future. I, I just got to ask. There's, I'm pretty sure my buddy Carmelo, D Wade. There's a lot of wine companies that are coming out of the NBA right now. Is that yeah. is it, is there a, a is there any common ground on why alcohol has been such a big push for business after ball? I think what's crazy is so there's only four. There's retired. So wine industry people are from basketball. Isaiah Thomas has his champagne. Carmelo, CJ, myself, and then D Wade, and then Chris Paul is invested with Lafette. Right? So it's just those six, right? Out of those six, two, three are like the CEOs Zeke, so Isaiah Thomas, myself, and CJ. Okay? Carmelo, I don't know. I know CJ does about 1,200 cases, I think, a year, maybe 1,500. I think Zeke does tens of thousands, and we are at five. So that's a lot. And a lot of those other ones are. 500 cases, things that sell out fast that you don't need a lot of promotion for. Like, it's a business, but it's, hey, here's an allotment. Go sell this. They're not talking to distribution. CJ and I have had some conversations, same with Isaiah, about distribution, how that works, who to go with, smaller places, bigger places. I'm not saying, there's just levels of what they are able to be attentive to but I think wine is something that's interconnected and very personal, right? If you bring a good bottle of wine somewhere, it'll blow the conversation out the water. If you bring a bad bottle of wine, it could also blow the conversation out the water. So I think basketball players, it's easy for them to bring this bottle of wine in the middle of a table with a Fortune 500 guy or somebody who they don't even know, and then they could talk for hours and become real personal where it's not weird. It's the, you're removing the, the median by putting that mm -hmm. bottle of wine there. Did, did you know you were going to do wine or were you like, I'm going to do some business. I want to figure out I'm a business person. I want to do a business. Shit, what should I do? Or was it like, I fucking love wine. Let me I figure out how to be closer wine. to wine. Yeah. I love wine, man. And I live in Oregon, which is close to wine country, 45 minutes. Honestly, and this is funny, and I still may do it eventually. I wanted to have a teriyaki food cart, teriyaki chicken food cart. Because in all honesty, you can't fuck it up. If you have the right sauce, legit chicken, right, bomb rice, and options, you can't. If you're next door to a gym, a popular gym, think about this. Hey, what do you want? White rice, brown rice, black rice, no rice, okay? Do you want salmon, steak, chicken, or like veggies, okay? Do you want spicy sauce, regular sauce, or do you want like our fancy sauce for the week? And it's all healthy. And it's boom, there's the bowl. They go, how many carbs do you, like how much chicken do you want on here? Do you want all protein? Boom, quick, five minutes, chucking it out. And it to me, teriyaki stuff doesn't get old. It just doesn't, it's delicious on any sure. level. So are you, that's why I was going to ask this next question. How much time do you spend thinking about the pairing of your wine to that future teriyaki business? You know what? Oh, dude, we spend, I spend probably too much time. Portland has such good food and 
people have this huge stigmatism or this is it no stigmatism is something in your eyes this huge hang up on oh pinot noir is supposed to be with salmon you know what i say i'm like man you know what that pinot goes with oxygen chill out and enjoy the damn wine right because look mexican food spicy mexican food can go with Riesling or a nice cab if you have that chocolatey mole sauce. Every region in the world makes wine. Why wouldn't that their food fit with the wine? That doesn't even make sense, right? Like, you don't need, like, it is amazing to try Thai food with uh, Albarino or sushi and bubbles, which is my top five favorite, right? Champagne and sushi crazy or Riesling and sushi crazy like Mexican food and like a Spanish red or Indian food with a nice crisp white wine, something spicy, something to combat it. That's the fun about wine. It's like those rules are for old crusty butts. Like you, we can remake the rules any way you want because we have access to the world at our fingertips. We talked about this, like in today's world, do I want Kobe beef? Let me make a phone call, boop, hit a button. 20 minutes, I got Kobe beef at my house. Yeah, I got one last question for you, and I'll, I'll let you go here. There's, the, there's a, you, you guys have done an unbelievable job with this concept of collaboration, yeah. right? And, and that's my, I've, I've really spent a lot of my time, and specifically within my business, that really stemmed from my experience with Jordan Brand right. and their initiatives to, to launch limited edition products that can build right. brand affinity through collaboration with up and coming artists and so on and so forth. The twofold question, just tell me a little bit about why you like to collab. And then right. I would love just to, to finish this thing off. On what is your dream collaboration for Chosen? Hopefully. Okay. Why I like collaborations is as a quote unquote celebrity brand, right? Usually celebrity brands and their name is the pillar of the tent, the middle pillar of that tent. With our brand, our pillar is the wines that we make are up to quality of not only one winemaker, but six different elite, young, up-and-coming, amazing winemakers. So our business is not built on Channing's word. It's built on professionals' word. And that's the difference. And so when you look at the bottle, and I keep every single bottle we make, right? Any of these bottles, right? This is our taste. This is chosen family's taste, meaning myself, Tiket, and our team. This is our version of growing and practicing winemaking skills without the winemaker. We have the expert, but it's, this is our taste growing and evolving. That's why it's at under $40, right? $20. This is a professional. This is the guy who does it every single day, who we had an opportunity to not only tell his story, but for him to share his juice and to work with us, to teach us about his vineyard that he knows like the back of his hand, like a baby. And a stamp of approval and every picture is from where it's at. So we tell you where it's at. We say, hey, their stamp of approval is on here. We tell you their story. If we run out, because there's only so much, we tell you, go there. If you like this, go there and try it because it inspired us which is why we do the collaborations. So the two collaborations I would want to do, one, and I'm just going to go by varietals, and hopefully I haven't met this winemaker yet. I want a German Riesling. I am a Riesling nerd and just want to learn more about it. It's 
hard to get out here in America. And when it's done, it is, it's smells like flinty limestone, but then, but with a little bit of beeswax, but then it's like minerally sweet, but dry. And it's all the things and it just blows your face away. And then secondly would be Burgundy. You just can't. I would want to do Burgundy. Obviously, one of my favorite is Dujac. If I can have an opportunity, even if it's 10 cases, 20 cases, to do that, to, to have an opportunity to be in the cellar with him and to, and to make a blend that is specifically for us, that would be your boy put his hands up like, all right, I'm here. But the winemakers we have now, I am ecstatic about. Larry Stone and, and Lingua Franca, Chase Renton, Jackson Holstein, the guys down, Joe and Phil down at Salty Goats. Like, we got a really good squad of guys that I am very proud of and blessed to work with and excited to see what happens in the future. So I think I got the answer to this, but are you doing business or are you just playing business? Oh, no, we're doing business. We're doing, doing business. business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you start writing big checks, you're doing business. Right? When you start writing big checks, you're doing business. And then it's just, how do you adjust? How do you grow? And it's like, you can't, sque- you can't squeeze your business based on your ego. You got to listen and grow and adjust and adapt and, and learn. So we're doing that. We're doing that every day. Thanks for listening to Playing Business. As you know, Dan and I value good discourse and perspective. So let us know what you agree with, disagree with, or what you'd like to hear in a future episode. Always appreciate a good review or a rating, and be sure to subscribe. Thanks to the On Discourse and Audio Up team for the production of the podcast, and see you in the next episode.